Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Driving Theology. And thank you for coming along with along with me this morning on my mini road trip that I take every week to work. Uh, I don't really have that many new listeners, but if you happen to be listening to this for the first time, I'll just give you a quick idea of what I do here. I, uh, I talk or ramble <laughs> about uh, various topics uh, on this uh, about 35-minute drive that I have. Uh, every week and I do it while I'm driving because it helps it helps uh, what I'm talking about flow a little more naturally uh, I've noticed when I have long drives with people uh, in the car that we have great conversations and I don't know if it's because uh, maybe the pressure's off or rather maybe the pressure's on I, I don't know it could be a combination of both um, but it's definitely uh, you know, you have a captive audience, if you will, and so there are great conversations always happening in cars. But I have a feeling there's some some brain stuff that's going on too, where because the driver is engaged uh, in keeping everybody safely on the road and whatnot, that that what he says may come a little bit more freely out of his subconscious, maybe. Uh, it's a possibility anyway, and even passengers are engaged in, in seeing the, uh, you know, the landscape go by and the other things that have their mind engaged as well. Uh, not to mention, you know, hoping that the driver is safely driving and whatnot. Uh, and so it's a way for me to see how I sound, or to hear how I sound when I talk to people about various things. Uh, Jesus, um, and of course it's off the cuff, uh, even today as I was walking with the car, I really didn't know what I was going to be talking about, um, but something did pique my interest this morning, I, Richard Rohr uh, has a new book out called The Universal Christ, and my copy is on the way, I pre-ordered a copy, it's on the way, but I got kind of, uh, patient this morning and thought that I would, you know, like to get it sooner than that. So I have some audible credits. If you listen to books on audio, I, I, I pay a monthly fee and have, uh, I think a credit a month that I can download, which I don't use. So I have lots of credits saved up. Anyway, I went ahead and downloaded that book and listened to uh, a few minutes of it this morning. Uh, and something did pique my interest, uh, which I had never quite heard it put the way that he put it uh, here. And it's it's about um, a definition of mysticism uh, that I had never heard before. Uh, and I did not grow up in a in a very mystic tradition at all. Um, in fact, I, I think any mysticism uh, in the churches that I grew up in would be would be very much um, suspicious, suspicious, and maybe uh, uh, heretical uh, to to allude to any kind of mystical experience. 
Um, but what I liked about this definition is it, it finally made it crystal clear to me what mysticism is. And whether this is a, a an accepted definition or not, uh, I, you know, I've been studying around the subject for a while and I had not had a, uh, a good definition of it, but when I heard it, I knew that was it. It's one of those kinds of moments, I suppose. Um, and so the definition he gave of mysticism, uh, sorry, I'm going to try to get my heater going a little bit. It's a little bit chilly. Is it outside? 11 degrees, not that chilly. Um, was the idea of experiencing God in places other than written scripture. And I thought that was a pretty brilliant, um, pretty brilliant way to put mysticism. In other words, experiencing God uh, in uh, nature or uh, in the cosmos or you know inside of your own mind, I suppose, or um, any anywhere really other than written scripture, uh, experiencing God, right, uh, meeting God, if you will. Uh, someplace other than scripture would be mysticism. And to me, that that's a great definition. I'm like, wow, that's, yeah. Like I said, I didn't know exactly. It was hard for me to pinpoint what mysticism was, but when I heard that definition, I knew that was it. You know, one of those lightning bolt moments. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd talk about that a little bit. I, I, yeah, I've talked about it before, obviously. I just didn't call it necessarily mysticism. Um, but obviously, there's a difference in approach there, right? Um, th there's a there's a big difference uh, because some some people, uh, whether they say it or not, the way the way they seem to live. Um, is that anything outside the Bible would be, again, suspect or suspicious. Uh, you know, a slippery slope, uh, too difficult to discern. Uh, you know, how do you know if it's of God or how do you know um, that's actually God? It could be Satan in disguise or you know, demons or whatever. Sorry, I'm drinking a little water here. No coffee this morning. Had my two cups at home. Didn't bother to make another pot. Uh, so, yeah. Are you a mystic? Do you do you look to be a mystic? Uh, in other words, are you are you looking for? Uh, meetings with God in places other than Scripture. And obviously Scripture speaks to me. Uh, speaks a lot. Um, but I think now now that I um, have come to the point to where I am, whatever that may be, uh, I would I would think that Experiencing God only in Scripture is a bland, 
uh, and you know just completely unappealing uh, way to go. Uh, I just don't see that as being appealing in any way. Um, and it's too bad that people don't look to experience God in other places. Um, it's really a shame. Um, so, you know, maybe it's obvious. Sorry, I got a bag here making a little more noise. I'd like it to. Part of it is because I'm idling. Okay, that's better. Um, yeah, sorry. Totally lost my train of thought. Um, so, yeah, for a long time, I did not experience God in any way other than Scripture either. Uh, and usually that was in church. Uh, and there are some, of course, there have been moments in my life of conviction through Scripture where uh, I read something and it, it goes straight to the heart uh, and I'm convicted of this or that. But usually, <laughs> and maybe this is just because of the tradition I, was, I grew up in or I was raised in, Usually that was always convicted me of sin, convic convicting me that I was bad, convicted, convicting me that, that I was not measuring up, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and so that uh, was kind of the, the, the limit yeah, everything else was was head knowledge. You know what I was learning here and there was pretty much in my head, uh, and any kind of other experience, like I said, a conviction or whatever, was usually shame based, and, and you know brought me to repentance and and reminded me of just how um, how bad I was or how how unlike Christ I was. Um, and so that, obviously, I wouldn't call that uh, completely positive. I think there are times when we should be convicted that, that you know, we, it would be better for everyone involved if we behaved better. And I think that's a normal progression in your, uh, in your spiritual life. But obviously, that's not all we want to experience. Right? We want to experience the love of Christ. Uh, we want to experience, uh, if at all possible, uh, the belonging to the body of Christ. Uh, we want to experience uh, His providence and, and promise uh, in, in everything we do, right? In all places. Um, and so Richard Rohr's book is... is uh, contemplating the idea that Christ is all in all, right? Uh, something that, that Paul talks about in the book of Colossians. Christ is all in all. He's, he's, he is the all in all. Uh, and so Richard Rohr takes that at face value. 
And so he believes that Christ is found in every person. And not only that, in every, cre in every part of creation. He would say that Christ is present in, in all of creation. And so how do you find Christ in everything? Uh, and scripture, though tells us this truth, cannot take the place of the experience of finding Christ in everything. And you know, it's, it's not always easy. Like today, it's a, it's a overcast, gloomy day. It's, it's allergy season. I have bad allergies. I'm on my way to work. Uh, there are a lot of strikes against me experiencing Christ on this trip to work. And yet, and yet I, I should be able to do so. You know, well, just looking back, I saw an old woman who was walking down a really big hill. Uh, and she had a smile across her face. She was by herself pushing some kind of a cart probably probably to help her keep her balance and yet she had a big booming smile even in this you know coldish uh, allergy overcast weather you know I think that's Christ in her you know I saw joy uh, I saw joy there you know um, in that person I could see some kind of cheerfulness, some some kind of a joy despite the fact that she's old, probably somewhat crippled uh, and alone. And, and there she was with a smile across her face. Um, I think I can see Christ in that. Uh, and the challenge isn't seeing Christ in the positive aspects of creation, whether they be human, uh, animal, inanimate objects like rocks or dirt. Uh, it's easy to see them when those things are seen in a positive light, but how do you see Christ in, you know, the, the, the person that kind of gave me a little road rage a little earlier, uh, you know, in the car? How do, how do I see Christ in that person? How do I see Christ in this pollen that's, that's making my life miserable uh, for several months out of the year? How can I see Christ in that? And how can I see Christ in this cloudy sky? Um, <laughs> there's a literal interpretation seeing Christ in the clouds. It comes again. Something somebody might point to. But anyway, my point is, how, how, if Christ is all in all, then he's also in quote-unquote negative things, right? He's in bad people. Uh, he's in in bad situations. He, he's in tornadoes. Tornadoes recently hit uh, the, the deep south in America and many people were killed. Somehow Christ is in that tornado. Christ is in that rock I just passed. And Christ maybe even in the rock that's hitting, striking my face, you know, causing me pain. How is, how is Christ all in all? plants and animals uh, that cause 
not only human but animal life and other plant life uh, problems, right? How is Christ in the mosquito or the cockroach, poison ivy? Uh, how is Christ in the thorn or the thistle? question, you know, I, I suppose this book is going to open that up for me, um, because it's easy to say that, well, Christ is the order that you see in the midst of chaos, for example, I just, I'm passing a lot of a forested area, and everything's pretty brown, right, pretty brown, it kind of blends together, uh, all the uh, cedar trees are laden with pollen, so they're kind of a reddish brown, and that's the stuff that's causing me all my problems. But occasionally, you see this—you uh, know, this uh, flowering, beautiful flowering tree in the midst of it. Uh, and so there's there's order in the chaos. So seeing Christ as order in chaos is is easily done enough, right? That's that's all well and good. But how do you see Christ in the chaos itself? Um, and again, we're not talking about we're not talking about um, what do you mean? What am I trying to say? We're not talking about the thing that causes the chaos. We're talking about the matter, the chaotic, the, the matter that that is in a state of chaos itself. Right, the jumbled up weeds and briars um, that have taken over uh, parts of a field or a forest, uh, or you know the the crowd of people uh, in a Tokyo subway. Um, said that a weed is simply a plant that people haven't figured out what to do with yet. In other words, weed, even weeds have potential for good, but people have not learned to use it for that yet. Uh, that is a way to see something that is right now chaos, but actually realize, well, there's, there's maybe order in that chaos. Or that chaos-causing uh, plant. Bad people, I suppose, are still made in the image of God, right? Whether they're angry, uh, idolatrous, uh, you know, just out-and-out out sinful, um, there is still in them because they are made in the image of God. Nobody is lost. Right? Nobody is completely lost. So I suppose one way that I can see Christ even in even in chaotic and uh, disordered 
negative, if you will, places, is to realize that there's potential there. There's potential for good. Uh, and, and us helping unlock the potential for good in negative people or places or whatever. And that's Christ in us. Christ in us discovering Christ in everything else. Um, and I would say that's one definition of Christ. And that is order in chaos. And so what may look like chaos to us may contain order. This is not Richard Rohr. I have not read his book yet. Uh, so I don't know if this is the direction he's going to go. So I don't want to misrepresent him. Um, but I do know that his premise of the book is to find Christ in everything. You know, some of the places that most Christians would probably uh, broadly agree on where Christ does not exist is in uh, what has traditionally been called idolatrous religion, idolatrous uh, Eastern religions that, that worship idols or, or make images and things like this. We would assume that Christ is not there, right? Um, but Christ must be there as well, right? People, people created these religions. People created all religions. Uh, and those people are made in the image of God who live uh, in a world that bears the image of God. And so there must be Christ there too. Right? How could Christ not be there? Another place that I think we would we would deny that we could find Christ uh, would be in Satan, for example, or in demons. Well, Christ can't be found there. But did not Christ, just as he created us, did he not create Satan and the demons? I think we have to agree he did. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a challenge, I think. And yet, if we look close enough and are patient enough, I think we will be able to see Christ everywhere. Now, how do you see Christ in cancer, for example? That's going to be a tough one. Um, especially certain kinds of cancer, I suppose. Christ somehow is in his entire creation. Entire creation is made by him, and he is the ordering factor. He is the he is the definer uh, of purpose in everything. And so, finding purpose. For example, in a parasite, uh, how do you find 
sickness and a parasite that causes destruction or blindness or death. How do you, how do you discover Christ in that parasite? It's going to be challenging. too big of an assumption because I want to see which direction Roar goes with it. <clears throat> but I would assume that he's going to say that the kernel of good, original good, that exists from the original creation, not the twisted nature that it has taken on, but the original good, there's a kernel of that still existing in everything. And that kernel of good is Christ and everything. I could, I could see that, you know. Uh, perhaps the way that different animals have evolved and changed uh, over the years is is what takes or makes Christ difficult to find in everything. That would make sense to me. Um, but in what way is Christ in everything? He's in not only growth, but he's in decay. Uh, he's not only in sunshine, but in rain. Um, yeah. It's going to be very interesting. Um, but I would think that seeing Christ in everything looking for Christ in everything at the very least and, and that becoming a habit in your life will make you a mystic that's that's probably an even better definition of mystic one who finds Christ in everything and in so doing is constantly is constantly experiencing Christ not just in the written word, but in the created world, created universe. Experiencing Christ and everything. Christ is everywhere. Christ is everything. Christ is in everything. Christ is everywhere. Huh. Okay. I'm not a meditative or contemplative person. I don't really meditate, but I can see how this could make me more meditative. It makes sense to me. Like it, constantly looking for Christ in everything. outside my door as the car stops looking for Christ now that's why I've kind of stopped and you see it you know and maybe maybe we see it I think you see it probably equally everywhere you have to know where to see Christ uh, and, you know it may he may 
bringing himself forth in different different ways and different cultures. Um, you know, here's a mom, a young mom, walking with her baby. Um, the baby's looking around. She's on her smartphone while she's walking, carrying the baby. <laughs> somewhere, you know, I'm on, I'm on the road obviously, driving, and this is one way to experience people in motion, and I get to see a lot of people, though not very personally, but pass, pass numerous people in the car, some people walking, buying new cars here, or here's a person jogging, barely jogging, but trying hard, with a mask on, because she probably has pollen allergies like I do. <laughs> So even though the season may be bad for her, she's trying to stay in shape regardless, right? Braving the pollen. Oh, yeah, I'm getting stopped up. I'm going to squirt my nose here before I get to work. Seeing Christ in these allergies, you know, <laughs> it's a tough one. I despise pollen. It collects on everything this time of year. You see it on your windshield and anything outside, it kind of rests on and creates this really fine dust. Yellowy brown dust. It's cedar pollen this time of year that gets about half this country. And it's really horrible. I've got to take medicine and eye drops and squirt my nose and everything just to be able to function. Some level. Without the medication, really all I'd be able to do is lay flat on my back and sleep. Everything else kind of becomes just laborious. I suppose I could drive a car if I had to, but you know, your nose is just this fountain, this gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, finding Christ in that, wow. But I suppose if you just take pollen, you know, pollen is similar to something like the idea of leaven. I'm not sure they understood pollen. Well, they must have understood pollen somewhat uh, in the Bible uh, from farming and things like this. But, uh, of course, pollen is something that creates uh, fruit, right? Without pollen and the spreading of pollen,
because our immune system is compromised, right? That's what allergies is. We, we have a compromised immune system as well as other things in the, uh, what do we call that spectrum? The uh, autoimmune spectrum. Where something that is a good is misread as bad. That happens all the time, right? That's, that's you know, when we talk about the love of God, uh, the love of God is often rejected and, and misread as bad. Uh, people, people, for some reason, don't want God's love. They, they, they misread it as bad. They have an allergy. They have been somehow compromised and something that is the most beneficial thing on earth uh, becomes hell to them uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if I've talked about this before but you know un, unwanted love uh, is hell for for a lot of people it's it's very bad it's horrible um, if, if you've got somebody who loves you so much that they're always trying to be around you and do this for you or that for you and you don't like them, uh, it becomes something that's quite negative, right? Uh, so that's, that's kind of what an allergy is. Is that allergy analogy? And, and that's an an allergy. <laughs> Sorry, I like puns. Uh, so yeah, finding Christ, right? Finding the good in the bad uh, is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Uh, finding finding Christ in His creation. I suppose there may not be a better. problem with viewing scripture as the word of God uh, as opposed to Jesus as the word of God uh, and that is scripture often takes the place of God and, and I think that's a shame I think that's, that's a shame and I'm using God and Christ interchangeably here <laughs> Obviously, Christ incarnated himself in Jesus. Uh, and somehow, Rohr is making a distinction between Christ and Jesus. Of course, Jesus was the Christ. But what he's trying to say, and I'm not sure I'm ready to hear it, but I, he's alluded to this already early in the book. He's trying to say that Christ, yes, was incarnated in 
the person of Jesus, but he was also incarnated in the creation itself. That the creation itself is Christ incarnate. Okay? And that's... I want to see where he goes with that. I'm not sure. Uh, and on that note, I am reaching my destination now. Just about there. So I'll be clicking off in just a second. Um, but I hope today's uh, thoughts are beneficial in getting you to start looking for Christ in everything. Uh, and, and more than that, discovering the true meaning of that. Because this is just a, an introduction of the concepts as I see them so far after only listening to an audiobook for a couple of seconds. Uh, I mean, of course, I've been looking at this uh, this idea as Christ and other religions, right? How to find Christ in other religions, and that's the, the idea of the cosmic Christ, which is another way to say the universal Christ that's found in other religions. Um, that's still something that, of course, I'm contemplating. But this is a different concept. This is a more microcosmic way. Um, a more microcosmic idea of finding Christ in everything. And, and it, it really appeals to me. Um, because I, I have understood that there's value in mysticism. And yet, it's been hard for me to figure out what mysticism is. And if this helps make me a more contemplative, meditative person, then uh, I think it will do me a world of good. Cosmically good. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.